My name is Jim Vanisdale, and I want to welcome everybody here uh, to Grace Chapel. If you're new, welcome. I'm a past elder uh, at uh, Grace, and I am filling in for Pastor Josh, who's together with about 50 of our men up at the men's retreat with additional men from the city mission um, up at Camp, um, Camp in the Woods at Speculator, New York. So they'll be back. The, so the tide, the estrogen level's a little higher today than what it was most Sundays. And, and to be frank, that means the IQ's a little higher. Um, so I got to step up my game. Um, one thing that I will say with the men's retreat, um, and this is a very poorly kept secret for all you spouses out there, but men can be stupid. Um, I didn't say men are stupid. I said men can be stupid. And probably one of the times that men are most stupid is on a men's retreat when the 40s, 50s, and 60s try to keep up with the 20s and 30s. Um, I was one of them. I came back from a men's retreat on crutches after participating in full contact ping pong. Um, (laughs) So if you are the spouse of one of those who will be coming back, just, just acknowledge what, don't ask why you were doing whatever you were doing. Just love them. Be, be love. Uh, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank and praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you that we have the ability to come today and worship you. And Lord Jesus, as my pastor often prays, I pray with all sincerity that I will get out of the way and that your spirit will speak through me. Lord, I have felt the pressure of the evil one this week, trying to um, get in the way of this message. And yet I've also felt the Spirit telling me that there's, there's mighty work to be done here today, that hearts, um, that your Spirit is, is making and molding hearts, and, and that this message today might touch and might be something that, well, that only you can do. And so, Lord, I ask for your grace I ask for your mercy, and I pray, Lord, that you just watch over us now in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to start out with two questions. All right, so two questions. And I guess before I get going too far into this, I want to make sure you understand, you need to know the answers to these questions at the end of my sermon. So you're going to have to remember the answers to these questions for about, well, for three and a half, four hours. Um, when my sermon's done, I, did you love that nervous laugh? Um, no, not really. So you got it? You're going to have to remember the answers to your two questions here. So the first question is this. What one thing that you know you should do that you haven't done? Okay, what one thing you know you should do that you have not done? Okay, that could be anything. Think about it. Second question is very similar. What one thing spiritually, you know you should do that you haven't done. You got it? One thing that you, ha- you know you should do you haven't done could be anything. One thing you know spiritually, and spiritually could be just about anything. It could be starting tithing. It could be participating in church. It could be forgiving a person that you know you should forgive. It could be daily Bible study and prayer. Whatever it is, let the Spirit move you and ask him, what's that one thing I should be doing that I know I should do but I haven't done? So the title of my sermon today is, I Didn't Do Anything. Um, I used to use that all the time when I was a kid. My mom would walk into the room and she'd give me the look 
and I instantly would go, I didn't do anything. I just didn't do anything. Um, and so what I ended up realizing after time is that that's a very poor response because many of the times the look from my mom was because I hadn't done anything, right? And so for those guys out there, just learn not a great response in general because she was looking at me because I hadn't taken out the trash, I hadn't fed the dog, I hadn't done all those things. And so what we're going to talk about today is quite important. And I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to see if you can figure out what's the answer to the statement. And you'll know how serious this issue is by the answers that I'm going to tell you that it fulfills. So think of the following. What one thing can you do to destroy all of the following? You got it? One thing that you can do that will destroy all of the following. It will destroy your car. It will destroy your house. It will destroy your finances. It will destroy your mind. It will destroy your friendships. It will destroy your career. It will destroy your marriage. And enough of them do it, do this one thing. It'll destroy a nation. It will destroy your spiritual life. And it will destroy this church. Now, those are pretty big, heavy-duty things, don't you think? If you had one thing that you could do that was doing all that, I think it's time we should make sure that we know what that one thing is, right? So the answer to that is doing nothing. If you do nothing, eventually your car will break down. Those who have gardens, if you do nothing to your garden, eventually it's going to be filled with weeds. Your house, if you do nothing, you ever, think, you ever dr see how quickly, like a strip mall that went out of business, within just a very short time, becomes decayed? If you do nothing with your mind, eventually it'll sap your vigor. If you do nothing with your health, eventually you're going to lose your health. And if you do nothing spiritually, eventually it's going to destroy your spiritual relationship. Okay? It's a pretty important thing. And I have to give a shout-out to Pastor Adrian Rogers, who was an amazing pastor who's now deceased. And I was listening to his sermon on this topic, and i got to say, I've walked with Christ for 40-plus years. I would have failed open, and that's engineering ter terms to mean I would have failed completely on this topic. I never had heard it presented in the way he did. I never saw the scriptures as in the way that he presented them. And what I'm trying to do today basically is take and allow you to see through this additional information the exact same topic that struck my heart so hard. So before we get going, definition. Sin of omission, or in more appropriate terms, sins of omission. What is it? Webster would say a mission would be failure to do something that you have a moral or legal obligation to do. Failure to do something you have a moral or legal ob obligation to do. Um, another way of saying it is not doing what you ought to do, fundamentally. So what does that look like? What does that look like practically? What does that look like, say, in the world outside? 
Um, I think we had a good example of that with the government shutdown. The government was failing to do what they ought to do. They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, and that is, well, fulfilling the roles of the government. Um, about a week, a week and a half ago, I watched a, a documentary. And the documentary was on a ship that went down off the coast of New Jersey. And its name was the Marine Electric. And in 1983, right around this exact same time, he was coming up in February on a Northeaster, and there was a Northeaster, and that ship went down off the coast of New Jersey, and 31 of 34 people died. Tragic. But it struck me really deeply, I gotta tell you. And why? Well, they realized that the reason that the, this Marine Electric sunk wasn't because of the storm, really. The storm should, have been, uh, storm should not have made the ship sink. What had happened was that the people who were responsible for ensuring the seaworthiness of the ship failed to do what they ought to do. The Coast Guard failed to do the inspections. The company failed to do the repairs. All those things happened. And just so you know why it struck me so personally is that I was on a ship at that exact same time, more or less a sister ship of that, exact same time, but I was in Africa. I was off the coast of Africa, where there is no Coast Guard to come and help you when you get in trouble. And only by God's divine provision, for some reason, I'm here today, and those men are gone. So with that being said, I would like you, if you could project our verse for today. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city and do that, spend a year here, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. And here's the verse for the day. Anyone, then, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I don't like that verse. Honestly, I, I just don't like that verse. And before we get much further, i got to make sure we are very clear on this. The sins of omission are not forgetting. Those of us who are a little bit north of 50, all right, that would be a constant sin that's always going on because I'm always forgetting something one way or another. That's not what we're talking about here, right? The sins of omission is things that you know you should do and you simply don't do them. The sins of omission would say that the people who failed to do the inspections on the Marine Electric had blood on their hands. They were responsible, if not directly, to a very large part of those people being lost. And so when I look at this particular Bible verse, there's a couple things that strike me. First off, why? Why? What did this guy do wrong? Everything that he sounds like he's doing seems to be okay. He's planning. He's being a shrewd businessman. He's going through and he's looking at what he might be able to do and a different thing. All things that Proverbs, if you read the Bible, actually encourage Right? There's nothing here that you would sit here and go, well, what the heck? Why would that person be getting condemned? And it's for a couple 
very specific reasons. One, he left God out of the equation. There's obviously a bit of bragging there, which is evil. But what does he get condemned for? Not doing the things that he should do. And that opens up an incredible amount of issues specifically for you guys sitting here today and me. Because a person, what that really means is a person who isn't exposed to the gospel, who doesn't know the Bible, who isn't been any sort of knowledge of what this is going on and what he should be doing, would not be guilty of that sin. But if you're a believer and you know the good you should do, you are guilty of that sin. So that gets pretty doggone heavy. Um, two things about this verse that we're going to look at in a little bit more detail. First off, the deceptiveness of the sins of omission. And second off, the fact that those who know. If you would have asked me when I was listening to my, um, the podcast from Adrian Rogers that there was a sin that is committed more by Christians than the secular world, I would have scratched my head and said, I don't think so, right? If you would have asked me and said, one person can do one thing, and the exact, other, the exact same thing can be done by another person, and to one of them it is a sin, and to the other it isn't, I would have said, no, I don't think. I've read the Bible through a couple times. I don't think that that's the case. But what does this say? If you know the sin... If you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, to you it is sin. Which is so much different than the sins of commission. Sins of commission are those things that I think 95% of us would say if I said, name a sin, murder, lying, cheating, adultery, all those sorts of things would be sins of commission, things that you've done that you should not have done, but when you look at the sins of omission, it opens up everything. You can be sitting right here right now and committing the sin of omission because God laid it on your heart that you should be doing something that you haven't yet done. Um, one of the sins of commission um, that I'm going to use as an example as to the deceptiveness of the sins of omission is the fact that you can be looking really, really good. This person... Sitting here today, nobody would know the fact that he's in sin. Unlike the sins of commission, um, such as drunkenness. Right? Who's the only person who doesn't know, who doesn't recognize that the person's drunk? The drunk. Right? Have you ever been to a party and the guy's trying to put on a show that he's not quite drunk, but everybody knows that he's drunk? Um, when I was prepping for the... Um, J-term, I came across a couple conversations between Winston Churchill and Lady Astor. And Lady Astor was the first woman member of Parliament. And they had quite the relationship. And one time they were at a, a, some kind of a function and Lady Astor came walking in and said, found that Winston Churchill was drunk. And she said to him, Mr. Churchill, you are drunk. Not only are you drunk, but you are disgustingly drunk. To which Mr. Churchill said, my dear lady, you are ugly. Not only are you ugly, you are disgustingly ugly. But in the morning, I will be sober, and you will still be ugly. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that room at the time. So, 
But it's true, right? Sins of commission are very visible in general, right? Sins of omission are very deceptive and, and very, well, can be very much hidden within your heart. So we're going to look at the next teaching. And um, in your bulletin, there's a couple verses that I put down, but there's one in particular that I would ask, and we do this every week. We would say, hey, would you please take a look at, you know, at the Scripture? But there's one based on today's sermon that I would ask that you would actually go, and that is to go and look at the chapter of Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Matthew 25 comes after Matthew 24. I, am a, I truly am a nuclear scientist, so I got that down. Matthew 25 comes after Matthew 24 and before Matthew 26. Matthew 24 is Jesus is talking to his disciples about the last days, the conditions that are going to occur before the last days. And it's not to the thousands, it's to his disciples, and it's to you and me. Today, we can go to read Matthew 24 and see what those are. Matthew 26 is, well, Jesus is... The Last Supper and getting ready to go directly to the crucifixion. And what you see in Matthew 25 is Jesus' last words and directions to not just his disciples, but to us. All right? So I'm going to just do a quick flyover of Matthew 25. The vast majority of us will have heard sermons on each one of these parables. But let's look at it in a different way today. Okay, Matthew 25 starts out with the parable of the ten virgins. And in there, there's ten virgins getting ready for the, for the wedding feast. And in that day, unlike weddings today, where it's a very, very specific time, in that day, you never knew when the bridegroom was going to come. And so these ten virgins are off, and they're waiting on the bridegroom. And what we find out is that there's five wise virgins, and there's five very unwise virgins. And the five unwise virgins didn't do what they should have, do, should have been doing, and they weren't prepared when the groomsman comes. And here's what it said. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready went in to, with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, others, the others who went to buy came and said, Sir, sir, open the door. And then a very chilling statement. But he, Jesus, replied, I tell you, I don't know you. I don't know you. Okay? So through these verses, there's two themes. The first is an obvious one, that we should be getting prepared for Christ's coming. But listen to the, listen to the subtlety of what I was talking about with the verse in James chapter 4. Listen to, did they know what they should have been doing? And didn't do it. And listen to the subtlety of how they are condemned. The next parable, which kind of ups it another step, which Christ often does, he takes it up another step and talks about the parables of the talents. Where there's a master and he gives talents to three different um, of his servants. And in those talents he gives a bunch to one and, and less to the next and then only one to the last. And when he comes back, he sees that the, the servants who had the most did a very good job. They invested. They worked. They did what they were supposed to do. But the servant that they had given just one, listen to this. 
Then the man who had received just one talent came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting what you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew the harvest where I have not sown and gathered and where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put the money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it with interest. But take the talent from him to whom it was given. Give it to the one with ten. For everyone who has will be given more, and he who will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And another sobering statement. And throw the worthless servant out into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if that doesn't send a chill down your spine, Jesus goes beyond and no longer talks about a parable. Now he talks about a coming judgment day. Now he come, talks about the sheep and the goats. And he talks about how Christ is going to separate at one time the sheeps and the goats. And listen to what he says. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, and into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry, thirsty, or a stranger in need of clothing? or sick, or in prison, and did not help you. And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whenever you did not do it for the least of these, you did not do it for me. And then probably one of the most heart-aching and joyous verses in all the Bible, then they will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So did you see in there the common theme. What did they get condemned for on all three examples? Was it murder? Was it lying, adultery, cheating? They got all three examples were condemned because of what they did not do. What they did not do. Here's a verse. There's a couple things here that I want to make sure I state it and state it correctly, so I'm going to read them off. And I can't remember if this was from Pastor Rogers were another source, but it has so much truth. When we are indifferent and apathetic to the needs of others, when it is within our power and understanding to make a difference, we are living in sin. So, you might be saying, Mr. Vansdale, you are a Debbie Downer. Um, your J term was nothing but about... Uh, Apathy and the hardening of the heart, right? Now you're talking about this sin thing. It's a sin of omission. Hold on, we're almost to the good part, right? But there's a couple Bible verses when it comes down to doing things, dealing with sins of omission. And probably the most, um, well, two of them that I'll share with you. How do you do, how do you deal with sins of omission? It's a pretty easy thing. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works, 
which God prepared for us in advance. How about this? Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all the people, especially those who belong to the family of God. Um, Adrian Rogers' sermon, I can't do it justice, but he has kind of a southern twang, and he says, and see if you can follow this, and it's hard for a Pennsylvania Dutch guy to talk like this, but he says, you can't be doing what you ought not to be doing when you're doing what you ought to be doing. Do you follow that? Right? If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you can't be doing what you're not supposed to be doing. So how do you fight it? You do good. But there's got to be a warning. We all tend, because we are, whoops, we are very sinful, both in sins of omission and sin of commission. Can you hear me okay? We are all very, very susceptible to doing one of two things. Super grace, hyper grace, we're trying to get into the, into the kingdom by super works. All right? So I'm going to read this to you because I found this and I found, thought it was very, very spot on. Jesus did not teach that good deeds are the basis of your salvation. The Bible clearly teaches that eternal life comes from what God does. Not what we do, Titus 3, 4, and 5. We are saved by grace, not by our works. Still, God intends that those who receive grace will do good works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. True faith is more than just claiming to have faith. Genuine love for God will be expressed through service to others, John 3, 16, 18. Not to earn salvation, but because a heart that truly loves God will be filled with compassion for others. Jesus wanted his followers to set the pace by helping those who were hurting. Good works that come from people grateful for God's grace are at the heart of true religion. And I think it's kind of summed, and this is one that I would say that we should all memorize. Ephesians, we already talked about Ephesians 2.8, but listen to the rest of it. Ephesians 8.10, 8 to Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works which are prepared for us in advance. Okay. So, if you stand there and you realize that there is a mountain of sin. There is a Mount Everest in front of each and every one of us, right? Sins of omission, sins of commission, things that are just absolutely, when we get a subtle glimpse, even though it's imperfect, into seeing how God actually sees us, you can be overwhelmed. I can be overwhelmed. What are we supposed to do? Well, the Bible is very straightforward on what we're supposed to do. For sins of commission, flee. Resist temptation. Get the heck out of there. Someone once said, the, you shouldn't be trying to fight the sin of commission if you're an alcoholic by walking into a bar, right? Run away. And for sins of omission, 
simply do what you're supposed to do. And that's harder than what it sounds like. It is so hard. But the one thing that you cannot do, the one thing that you cannot possibly do, and listen to me on this one, the worst sin of commission, omission, excuse me, by far, is this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John 3, 18. When I asked you earlier about the things that you may not have done that you know you should have done, if that thing, by any chance, is that you've not yet accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is an eternal sin of omission. That is something that you need to do, not today, not in an hour, but that's something you should be working on at this moment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. That mountain of sin can be thrown away. It's been paid for. The good news is the good news. And it's the best news that there will ever, ever be. And so I encourage you, each of you, I encourage myself, even if you've been walking with Christ for a long time, rededicate yourself. Relook at what you should be doing in your life. Well, there's something that um, we're going to do here in a moment uh, that we are going to be very, very intentional so that we don't have the sin of omission. We're going to remember Christ by coming to the table and having a communion. If you ever talk to any people who have survived a very, very hard war, those who may have lost loved ones, those who have suffered tremendously, there is a universal statement that they make. Don't let my sacrifice go for waste. Don't forget what was done. Well, and that's what we're doing here today, right? As we gather for communion, we are doing just that exact same thing. We're doing what we're supposed to do. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, take this, eat it on behalf, this is my body shed for you, broken on the cross. Then he took the cup And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There's another part that talks in Corinthians 11 about examining yourselves before you come to communion table. It talks and gives a warning to everyone. It says, before you come up here, before you partake in this holy sacrament, to examine your heart that you do not bring judgment upon yourself. And so I would ask that if, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, that you not come at this point, but that you take time and consider the things that we talked about this morning. But if you do, irregardless of who you are or what denomination or where you may have been baptized or anything else, this is an open altar. We ask you that you would come 
and join in this incredible sacrifice. We recognize Jesus' sacrifice by doing and remembering him today. So would you pray, pray with me? Our Lord and Father, we praise you and thank you. Lord, when I get a glimpse of the fact when you, you talked about that the sins of commission, that even if I was angry, even if I was, um, you look on someone with lust or all oh, those things that I, that I was guilty of sin. And I try to work. We all try to be the best people that we can be. And yet when I take a gander of what your word talks about relative to the sins of omission, it, it, just, it just takes me to a different place of knowing of how evil and how poor of a wretched man I am and how much I am in need of a Savior. And we thank you, God. We thank you that that mountain of sin is removed from us as the east is from the west when we accept your Son. That your blood has paid the price. And so now, Lord Jesus, we ask that you will enter into us in a new and fresh way, that your Spirit will come into us. And if there's any here today who has not made that decision to accept you as their Lord and Savior, that this will be the day. If there's any here, Lord, who, who know the things that they need to do and they've just not yet do it, that you will give them the strength to. We ask this in all things in your Son's name. Amen.